it's time to talk about another album. You know it. And you might be thinking to yourself, you're like, wait, I feel like I just had a Waterproof Records episode last week. Well, that's because you did. Because like I mentioned before, I'm behind. I got carried away during my holiday season, scootin' de doot and I basically didn't record uh, two episodes that month. So I, I, I'm giving you three, three episode January, we're calling it. I don't, it doesn't really have a name, but that's why I'm back so soon. I'm giving you one more to go here this month, and then we'll be back to the regular two every month in February, and hopefully then going forward, it'll be back on track. But if you're watching the episode, well, you know, wait, let's jump into the theme song so that I can just talk to you some more, because you know how this works. You know how this works. I talk for a little bit up front. We do the song. We jump in, I tell you about DistroKid, and then we get into the album, the juicy good stuff, and that's what you're here for. So let's just not waste any more time, right, Jacob? Right, Waterproof Records people that I love so much? Um, let's get into it. So it is time to talk about Bex Odele. Let's go. Things are gonna change, I it. See? We got right to it. We're back here. I'm going to tell you about DistroKid, which I'm always excited to tell you about DistroKid. You should be using them. Use the link distrokid.com slash VIP slash, wow, I really messed that up. Let's try that again. Use the link distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof and you get 30% off. It's my special VIP link. And if you use it, you get 30% off your first year using DistroKid, which is the best way to get your music online. There's just no question about it. I, I, I wouldn't use any other service. I use them and you should be using them too. You can get all the songs you're working on out there in the world on every streaming service. They have an amazing app that you can use to check your, your money, your streams. You can share with other artists. You can do splits. It's just incredible. It's so convenient and easy to use and I love DistroKid. So they make this show a possibility, so you gotta make sure to be using that link, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof for 30% off your first year. So thank you. Now, we're getting into it. We're back in the Waterproof Records space, and um, if you're only listening to the show, I usually kinda choose T-shirts, not always, but sometimes I choose T-shirts based on the album I'm going to talk about, or at least thematically, because I don't always have a T-shirt for every band that I talk about on the show. Um, that would be way too many T-shirts. I would be drowning in T-shirts, because if this show goes on for as long as I hope it will, there's no way I could hold that many T-shirts in my house. Um, nor do I want that many. I like them, but they after a while, you start to be like, oh, what am I going to do with all these? Um, but right now, I'm wearing a, a T-shirt. If you're you're watching, you can see it. It's got a French bulldog on it. And it says dumb good. So here I'm gonna stand up right there. It says dumb good in kind of like heavy metal font. I got this shirt when I was going to um, an LA mashup event and there was this company there called dumb good and the, the entire theme of their clothing that night were like cute adorable puppy pictures on a shirt with like heavy metal writing and it said dumb good and I loved them. I thought they were so great. I was like, that is a great shirt. So when I decided to do Beck today, I was like, Beck is odd 
Beck is a pairing of a lot of a lot of different sounds, and that's why I'm going to choose this shirt today. So I felt like it's the perfect uh, blend. And then, of course, I have my Vilumi, which I usually link in the description so you can check these out. You can search Vilumi on Google and on there on the record that I have right now. I have another great clear record so you can see the light uh, rotating through it. It looks amazing. This is Hums Inlet. Inlet, which is the last album that we got, the newest album from Hum, which is incredible, and the entire vinyl is see-through, so this is a perfect one to show on the Valumi. Um, but we're talking about Beck's Odelay, and I d debated whether to do Mellow Gold, um, because that's, of course, where we kind of first learn about Beck in the world with Loser, but Odelay was the choice, and I did it because... Um, this was this was refined Beck. This was a turning point. Um, if you remember, there was so many new bands being thrown at us, you know, because of the grunge explosion and the alternative explosion and it becoming so cool to be alternative or weird or indie. It was becoming, you know, more mainstream, as we all know, which is not a bad thing. That's why it was cool time. Uh, it was a great time for music because everybody wanted to do something wild. And that's why the 90s is now hailed as such an incredible time because because of that explosion and because of like the counterculture things becoming mainstream, it just meant that a, a lot of people were trying to just push the boundaries and try new things. And that's why we have so much great stuff. Now, of course, I'm no stranger to that there were bands that were faking it, you know, that, that it wasn't quite authentic. It felt forced. It felt put on. It felt like maybe... Um, a record company had said, like, here, wear this, play this, and I promise you, you'll sell albums because you're so uh, hip and alternative. So that that existed. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to name names, but there were there were some that felt inauthentic. But what my point of that is buzz clips. There was this thing on MTV where it was like they had the buzz bin, the buzz clips, and it was like they they would cut to the latest new um, alternative, indie, grunge, whatever it is, it's like, hey, you should be keeping an eye on this. This is new. And it was cool, but it also was like, oh, this is a slippery slope. This is, they're going to give us yet another artist that's going to be here today, gone tomorrow, and we won't care, and I have no need to order this CD from my 10, cent 10 CDs and the 11th for a penny club or whatever it was, nine CDs and the 10th for a penny. You know what I'm talking about. BMG, Columbia House. We love to do those. The whole thing was, you know, you 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 sign up for it and then they would they would sign you up for these clubs and you get 10 CDs and then then you'd be on their mailing list and they'd send you the next CD next month if you didn't say you didn't want it and it would be ridiculously overpriced and you'd have to figure that out. So it was a pain in the ass, but that was a way to get like 10 CDs really fast. But uh, so so when Beck is dropped on us with Loser, for me personally, the way I looked at it at the time, I kind of I liked the song Loser. I thought it was fun. I sang along to it. I enjoyed the slacker kind of loosey goosey sounding like everything was rough and in a garage. It sounded demo-y. It sounded wild. And the vocals were kind of like, this, hey, you know, it just kind of had this like, hey, we're just chilling out. Like, we're going to smoke some weed. We're going to get drunk, whatever. And um, none of those things that I was doing in 1994 when Loser came out. Let's not forget that I was not a wild kid at all. Um, let's see, 1994. 
geez, that would have been um, the spring of my freshman year in high school. Yeah, that makes sense. Freshman year in high school. So by that time, I have had a beer in eighth grade. I sipped a beer that my friend Adam and I, we stole, we stole from the grocery store. I'm so sorry, IGA in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the year 1993 or something. We walked in and we had these baggy, um, these baggy like workout pants and we walked into the store and we went back to where the beer was and we uh, we slipped it into our our pockets, just like one bottle each. I think I just got the one and I, I think it was like Miller Genuine Draft or Miller Light or something like that. So they were warm. Yes, they were warm beers. And we grabbed them and we went into the back parking lot by the dumpster and we opened them up and it was a warm Miller Light. I took a sip of it and I was like, I wanted to barf. It was so gross. I hated the taste of that beer so much. I was like, oh my God, I don't know how anybody enjoys this. Um, that was about as wild as I'd gotten. And I think that was the summer after eighth grade. And um, that was, I mean, that felt pretty wild for me. I don't know about your adolescent years, but compared to my brother who was not getting into trouble or not doing anything like that, I was stealing a beer from the grocery store. Oh my God. And I also was smoking cigarettes um, I don't think I was very like doing it that often at that age, but you know, I would hang out with my friends and if there were cigarettes available, I would definitely try it was, it was somewhere around eighth grade that somebody taught me to inhale. Cause I remember at first I had, um, a cigarette and I didn't even know how to inhale it. And when somebody finally showed me how to inhale, I was like, Oh, um, smoking's bad though. So this isn't, this is not an advertisement for, um, starting up cigarette smoking. Anyway, so I was a pretty good kid, and uh, I I hadn't really experimented with with weed or anything like that. That would come. I think I tried my first, you know, I tried weed for the first time by the time I was a sophomore in high school. I had a pretty cool, like, fun experience with it, but it was it was one of those things that just it felt uneasy at the time. You know, it was like. Um, this is so long before it was legalized. And so I was, um, I was trying it and one, I felt a little paranoid, but also everything back then was like these dirty weeds and bags that you put in these pipes and made you cough. And, um, you know, it feels like things are stronger now and more distilled and focused and, and like made to be a certain way. Whereas back then it was kind of a crapshoot. You didn't know what you were having. Um, but anyway, I had that sophomore year. I, I I don't know why I'm going down my drug and alcohol history for you, but where I was when Loser came out, um, I sang along with that song. It felt like a slacker song. It felt like a stoner kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> song, you know, and uh, I thought it was fun. But I wrote Beck off like many of us did. I wrote him off in my mind. I don't think I consciously did it. I subconsciously thought, this guy is here today, gar gone tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like I saw Beck with his kind of like boyish face walking around in this video, skeleton masks, a broken acoustic guitar with strings falling off of it. And I just went, this is this song, Loser. We will never hear from this guy again. Boy, was I wrong. I was wrong. We were all proven wrong. And I actually think that that was the mentality of a lot of people after loser success and mellow gold becoming um, something that everybody was like, wow, this, you know, this artist, it was really predicted when he started working on his follow up album that he was going to fail, 
There were famous LA Times headlines that were basically saying like, it's going to be a flop. It's gonna suck. It's crazy how much they assumed it. But I guess the feeling that I had of being thrown artists on MTV, being thrown artists on the radio, and also having this kind of, I don't give a shit slacker vibe. We were like, well, how can anybody who seems that lazy and that blah, 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 how can they continue to create music beyond this? It seems like a flash in the pan, a one moment thing, right? It just seems like it's just, uh, it's just some kid. But we were wrong because Beck is brilliant. Beck Hansen is brilliant. He's a brilliant songwriter, composer, and has so much talent and can play every instrument and really surprised us by going on and, and winning Grammys and awards, not that those matter, but just constantly changing the game, showing us new styles and influences, things that he could do, 14 studio albums, I think it is. So really proved us wrong in terms of being a one-hit wonder. And the reason why I didn't choose Mellow Gold and I chose Odele is because this is the turning point. This is where we took him and we were like, oh, I guess we were wrong. And there's a lot of factors for that. Because I don't even remember getting Mellow Gold in 94, 95. I think I went back and got Mellow Gold, you know, by the time Odelay came out. Because I may have had Loser as a single, CD single or something. Or, or had it on a mixtape so that I liked it. But I remember going back and hearing Soul Sucking Jerk. And uh, Pay No Mind. Oh, I love those songs so much. You know, I did a video once of Pay No Mind uh, from, from Mellow Gold where he's like, like a giant dildo crushing the sun. I always love that lyric. It's just so random and weird in the perfect Beck way. And um, and I love Soul Sucking Jerk and just the way that that one goes. So I, I would learn later that that's a super fun album. And then I didn't even realize that after Odelay, I mean, after Mellow Gold, he releases One Foot in the Grave in 1994, kind of independently. And, you know, I didn't even know about that. One Foot in the Grave is just more folky, acoustic, stripped down, sparse kind of work of songs that he had recorded, I think, even before Mellow Gold. So it's like everything up in this point, Mellow Gold and One Foot in the Grave is like a collection of the, the music and the songs that Beck had written um, up until this point, but Odelay is like the step into the next generation of Beck, showing what he's capable of if given the opportunity, the support of a major label, um, some support in studio and production. And in Odelay, he works with, yes, the famous Dust Brothers, who had really gotten known for um, bringing the sampling, the just the frantic, schizophrenic way of adding samples to songs like on the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique which was very cutting edge at the time and using just samples, which now it's just commonplace pulling samples and audio clips from all over the place. It's, it's, it's something that's done all the time. It doesn't seem to be that special, but in the, in the, this era in the eighties, the nineties, it was being experimented with it. Things were being pulled and put into songs. And when you think about that, which I don't think I um, made that connection in 96 when Odelay came out that the Dust Brothers and oh, that's why this has kind of this Beastie Boys similarity, you know, whether it's just the um, the deep resonant digital bass, the blah, like on um, I think it's on Hot Wax on the second song where it goes blah, like that. I'm like, that is that reminds me of the Beastie Boys very, very, very much. So there's some similarities there. But Beck, who's 
full name, by the way, I think I think I wrote it down. Beck David Campbell is what he was born with in the 19, 1970 in Los Angeles, born in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, his parents, Biddy Hansen and and uh, I think it's Biddy. Yeah. Biddy is his mom. She was an artist, worked with Andy Warhol and, uh, you know, had a father, very artistic uh, kind of bohemian family um, artists, poets. And, uh, so his name is Beck B E K. It says on Wikipedia. I don't know. Just, just what I found. So changes it to B E C K. That sounds like it comes from a Norwegian. He has some Norwegian ancestry, um, Jewish ancestry, but, uh, his, he ends up choosing the, the maiden name of Hansen. So it's, you know, Beck Hansen. And then he just goes by Beck and that's what we know him as. But he had so much pressure after the success of Loser and people like I told you in the news were already like one hit wonder this. Oh, it's he's going to suck whatever comes next. So there's all this weird pressure. So he spent a lot of the time touring and whenever he would play shows, you know, would Beck would play shows after the success of Loser before Odelay, he just kind of was like in self-destruct mode. There's stories of him just going up there and changing the lyrics to the song so the crowd can't even sing along, doing weird jams, reggae songs, like making himself almost inaccessible to fans because I think he saw like, well, I'm just never going to be able to give them what they want. And he starts working on his next album, and some of those songs are sparse, acoustic, like ramshackle um, songs like that. But then he gets paired up with the Dust Brothers, and this is where it really begins to ch- change and take shape and bring in this hip-hop. And to this day, Odelay is just really where you see a cohesive connect the dots. You're like, oh, as weird and wacky as this album can get, it goes all over the place. It somehow makes sense. And you know what I mean. It it veers to left and right. It goes to folk and country and hip-hop and rock and you know, indie and jazz, and there's all sorts of crazy things happening, but it seems to work. And this album, 1996, June, June 18th, 1996, I was like, oh, soon as I thought about that, I was like, that is the summer before my senior year in high school. I'm about to to go into my senior year at Jinx High School. And the fact that that's when this album came out, I'm like, of course it was. Of course it was, because I remember where it's at, two turntables and a microphone being like an anthem of that time. You know, just where it's at. I got two turntables and a microphone. I can see myself with my senior class friends singing that and laughing and and having just this like fun party energy. You know, Odelay is this album that makes me think of like driving out in the car and just like not a care in the world. You you delve into beats and slide guitars and I think about where it's at. And he really did what he had to do, which was he had to replace I'm a loser baby, so why don't you kill me? He had to replace that slacker refrain with something like two turntables and a microphone. And that's how we started to see Beck. We started to transform the way that we saw him in this time. And we're like, oh shit, this guy is not a slacker. He's clever. He's witty. He does these monotone raps, but he's got a lot of creative ideas. And I'm not expecting this. 
And let's start out with, it starts with Devil's Haircut. That guitar riff with the beat. And it's just, you know, it's great. I listened to this album before I recorded and I was like, oh, it kicks off in the best way. You know, it has that driving beat and that guitar riff, which he's playing. You know, that's Beck playing that guitar part. And the Dust Brothers have commented. They were like, it was so fun to record with him because he played everything. They would sit around, listen to records, try to find stuff that made him laugh, find stuff that they could sample and plug into songs. And he would just pick up an instrument, any instrument, and just start creating, hearing a beat in something, imitating the beat, picking up anything you can name. Multi-instrumentalist. And those kind of creators, they're just inevitably going to um, pull from everything. You know, I've met people like that in my life that it's like you hand them an instrument and they know how to play it. You're like, here, here is this 15th century hurdy gurdy. And they're like, oh, so uh, I, I get how this works. I just get it. I like to think that I'm pretty good at all stringed instruments. Like I have a, dulcer, a dulcimer and I, I figured out very quickly how to play it. And if somebody hands me a a banjo or a mandolin. It isn't long before I can find some patterns and shapes in it because once you play guitar, you can kind of figure out by ear how to change and adjust. I've always wanted to try a hurdy-gurdy. That's been my latest obsession. I've been like, I think a hurdy-gurdy would be a lot of fun. If you don't know what hurdy-gurdy is, it's that medieval instrument where you're turning the lever. It's a drone instrument, so it's very medieval. You know, It's kind of tied to Renaissance Fair, medieval stuff. But I just think they're cool. I think it'd be really fun to play like a, like a hurdy-gurdy. Um, so hopefully when, at some point in time. You know what? I, I was just at NAMM in Anaheim. I bet you there was a hurdy-gurdy booth. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I could, you guys, I could have been at the hurdy-gurdy booth at NAMM. Can you imagine? Um, there's just like this one random booth in the back of the string instruments with just the hurdy-gurdies just dressed up like uh like men in tights just old renaissance and jamming out there's actually somebody on youtube uh there's this really cool gal and she plays the hurdy-gurdy but she's like got a lot of style I, when i was looking at videos about it anyway enough hurdy-gurdy come on what is this about donovan no it's about beck so it was a donovan joke hurdy-gurdy man Anyway, so Devil's Haircut, and then he ends it with that Devil's Haircut in my mind. And that was also a music video. A music video with like these, you know, he's walking along. I feel like there's like these freeze shots. I forgot to watch it before uh, I did the podcast, but I remember the Devil's Haircut video. And then I just talked about Hot Wax, which was that um, This is the song where he says Flash Dance Ass Pants. I'm almost positive. I used to think that lyric was so funny. Flash Dance Ass Pants. And this is also the song that has those those great those great sound bites like um, the girl the lady going who are you and he's like I'm the enchanted with I mean the enchanting wizard of rhythm he does it just like that he's like he's like she's like who are you and he's like I'm the enchanting wizard of rhythm and I loved that those are so funny to me I don't, I'll always get a kick out of that um these hilarious audio clips and things that are thrown into songs and then you get to lord only knows which has that um you know slide guitar in it there's that folky country vibe that he's bringing into it with some beats and rhythm um and we get to the new pollution another great hit song um 
great video, another music video and single that's released with a with a do 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 do. That's such a cool way to start out that song. That choir of uh, of harmonies doing the do doots, the do doots, and then it just jumps in with the. Um, it has a saxophone sampled in it, and I looked up. It is New Pollution. The riff sampled from the tenor sax player Joe Thomas's song Venus. So you can imagine Beck. And the Dust Brothers, you know, Easy Mike and King Gizmo sitting there in their Silver Lake place. That's where this was. That's where this was taken care of. This is where this was recorded was in Silver Lake. And I think that's where they lived. Um, And uh, you can almost imagine them sitting there and playing that song Venus by Joe Thomas and hearing that sax and being like, oh, we got to sample that. We got to use that into the new pollution. Um, And then you have. You know, sometimes I got to hear here. I'm going to play just a second of Derelict. Up, oh, that's what I thought it was. Derelict is the, is got that tribal, you know, again, this is that, that percussive change that you can also hear in the Beastie Boys. You can hear of that trip hop in the era um, that really, this is what made this album work in such a unique way. It's like the moment we, drive forward on new pollution. We come back with this kind of like, um, meditative do you know, there's this deep resonant, almost like a slide on there. And then that beat. And then I'm going to tell you right now on Novocaine, the next song, one of my favorite songs. I mean, one of my favorite moments in the whole album is on Novocaine. I'll never forget when I first heard this album and we're in the middle of the song and all the instrumentation drops out and it goes, blum, blum, bum, blum, bum, blum, bum, blum. And then he says, Novocaine on with a distorted voice and all of them in unison come together with that same riff. It's so full and just rocks. I love that part. I love that part. That that was like one of those parts of the album where you crank it and you're like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. What a great album. It was fun to revisit this one like it always is for this show to go back. And then we move on to Jackass. And uh, this is kind of like a, you know, it makes you almost feel like you're, you're, you're about to become nostalgic you're thinking about your teen years this was that's a good song for i'm headed into senior year and i'm about to kind of like leave this part of me behind and move on to the future and 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 miss it but be happy that i'm growing up you know it has this kind of pondering existence vibe it's a great song um and i have a, a kind of a funny story i remember i was in college and um my buddy, so I had these two really good friends, Mark and Kevin. Uh, I still have them. I love you guys. I met them when I moved to Illinois. We worked at the movie theater at Donata Square. We worked at Cineplex Odeon Theaters. And Mark and Kevin are still my buddies. I love them dearly. We just live in different parts of the country, so we don't get to see each other very often. But they're very good friends. And we would, when I would be home from college during the holidays, um, we would always be hanging together Christmas summertime. And so this had to have been somewhere around my freshman year coming back for the holiday break. But my buddy Mark went to North central college in, in Naperville, Illinois, and he got to be a DJ at the radio station there at his college. And, uh, when I would come back, he would invite me to be the guest on his radio show. That was 
that was always such an honor for me and such a cool experience. And it's really a surprise that I didn't like go back to my college at University of Illinois and go like, I need to get on the radio. Like that was a blast. But he would have me come into his radio show and we could just be like, um, I recommend what song or whatever. I even got to do a Smashing Pumpkins like deep dive episode. I have that on tape somewhere of me being on the North Central radio and doing like a full Smashing Pumpkins night where I'm talking about all this trivia and where songs come from. And, you know, this was probably only like 1998 or something like that, 98 or 99. So they hadn't split up. And uh, this would have been maybe post a door. But anyway, I'm not going to get on a pumpkins tangent, but I he would allow me to come in to be a guest on North Central Radio. And I remember there was a guy. I'm not going to say his name in case he listens to the show. I'm not going to be a dick. But in my friend group, Mark and Kevin, Kevin, who's uh, another wonderful dude. Kevin was notoriously the nicest of the three of us. Now, I know you know that I'm I'm a nice guy. I'm very friendly. Um, but you know, Hey, when I was a teenager or in college back then, and even to this day, are there certain people that kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes? Sure. And you know, when you're in a friend group and a, a circle of friends and there's like some people that are cursory to the, the friend groups, they, they come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. Well, there was one gentleman who would come around from time to time and he was kind of annoying. He wasn't a bad guy at all. Not a bad guy, but just kind of annoying. Mark and I both thought he was kind of annoying. And Kevin was like, he's not that bad, guys. And so every time I think about this song is I'm sitting there with Mark and North Central and we're like, all right, up next, uh, the song goes out to insert the name of the person here. And it's Bex Jackass. <laughs> so dumb. But we... We were absolutely intentionally kind of calling this person a jackass. Um, and again, I'm telling you right now, there was nothing wrong with the guy. There's nothing wrong with him. He was a good, good dude. It just, you know, it's like the the certain way that that this guy would approach Mark and I just made us laugh because it was it was it had awkwardness behind it, but it also had a sense of like self-importance. And so it just rubbed me the wrong way. It rubbed him the wrong way. So we dedicated jackass to that guy. I'm sure you can relate to stories like that where you where you um, you just don't gel with somebody. You know, it's weird when it happens to me. It's happened because I like to think that I get along with everybody and I absolutely have this sickness in my brain that I want everybody to like me, which is something that I've had to try to work on, especially in the position I'm in now. You've seen me in the comments. It's like I can't stand it when somebody's like says something really shitty about me. I'm trying to learn to understand that there's just some people that I will rub the wrong way. But boy, oh boy, you can see me in the comments sometimes. I can't help but defend myself because I want everybody to like me. This is not a good way to live. It's okay for people not to like you. And that is something that I've had to figure out how to do because sometimes I annoy people. I know I do. I know I do. I know there's a ton of dudes out there that uh, think I am just too much or that my big face, big smile, goofy way about me is just too annoying for them. I get it. I get it. I am I am a bombastic, big, broad, jazz hands human being. I live loud. I always have. And as I've gotten older, I've had to learn how to be like, well, don't apologize for it. That's who you are. 
you're a large, larger than life, loud, extroverted person, and that's okay. And sometimes you're gonna be somewhere and somebody's gonna just be like, yeah, I just don't like him, he annoys me. And I see that all the time too, by the way. I see, oh my God, when my videos land on like random Facebook um, fandoms, you know, like fa uh, Facebook groups that are dedicated to certain bands and one of my videos gets over there and people are there like, I fucking hate this guy. And I'm like, huh? no surprise, no surprise, but that's okay. It's okay. I have to learn to accept it. I have to learn. Odale, by the way, is based on the Spanish word orale, with O-R, with an accent over it. Orale, which is like a like a word of encouragement. So this is like a phonetic spelling of orale. Um, and then on the cover, that is that that kind of dog, the Commodore, I think it's called. Um, that kind of uh, Hungarian dog with a very dread-like hair jumping over that thing. It's such a it's such a funny cover because you're like, what is happening here? What am I looking at? It was like an AI generated generated piece of art before AI. No, it actually, hey, that's that's me being that's me being stupid and not saying that there were creative photographers that got great images that didn't require a computer to dream up some random scenario. There's still amazing art out there. And this cover perfectly is this weird. I don't quite know what I'm seeing, but it's a dog jumping over this barricade, you know, for Odile. But anyway, so album comes out in 1996. I told the story about Jackass. And then we get to the biggest hit on the album, the number one single, where it's at. This is this is what made this album explode and got him all the awards and all the Grammys. And he's got or nominated for him. I, I know he got nominated for awards for this album. And where it's at is a huge summer jam and it really is like you can think about 1996 summer where it's at that feels very much like that time and some of the samples from that song are um apparently it's like they've got lee dorsey's get out of my life woman is in there and then dialogue from this obscure sex ed album called sex for teens where it's at <laughs> so it's so funny um but there's all sorts of crazy sounds in this uh, era of uh, of Beck and the Dust Brothers. You know, you have Moogs in there. You can hear some like Grandmaster Flash and Sly and the Family Stone and some really funky stuff that's being slid in there. And it's just so brilliant. And where it's at is the one that um, that sticks out. There's a lot more songs to go on here. And I don't have any information about like what these songs are, but you flow from, from where it's at onto minus sissy neck, ready made high five, rock of the cat skills, ramshackle, and then computer rock at the end. If you're on Spotify, that's just one of those things that was like a bonus track. Just that, that, you know, not a great bonus track. I wouldn't say, but ramshackle was enough of a nice full long sprawling kind of folky, you know, Ramshackle always felt to me like you were riding off on a horse, like looking off in the in the distance. You're like, wow, what a what a journey I've been on. I've been with Beck in the Odelay. It's time for me to Ramshackle on out of here. Time for me to ride in the horizon with my weird French bulldog shirt that says dumb good. You like the sound of that in my voice, that deep country. Got a little bit of rasp from my time at Nam. But the rest of the songs, you know, you, you can hear the the on minus sissy neck ready made, um, you know, even looking at these, I'm like, OK, just hear the opening. 
Oh, Minus has got Minus has got almost that like punk high energy. That's the one that's got like definitely Sonic Youth vibes to it, right? Minus just reminds you of like a Sonic Youth song, which is the craziness to it. And then it just suddenly drops out. That one reminds me of Sonic Youth. And then we go to Sissy Neck. Ah. You can literally, the moment I hear that song, when I hear that opening whistle, you're like, here we go. Here's that Beck, that Beck sound. Um, and then ready made kind of more hypnotic slows down the, the, the beats and the album, then high five rock the cat skills has that, the Beck, the monotone rapping over that. And then we close out with ramshackle, which is a great way to close out this album. Now I'm going to tell you right now that my favorite Beck album of all time probably is mutations or sea change because I really do like when Beck gets like um, really heartfelt and acoustic and gets into that side of him more. I love the dancey stuff of the beats, the D- Dust Brothers, and even getting into you know the later albums the, that have more of the full band and the influence from all these different styles. I love them. They're super fun. But I really love my Beck when he is introspective and sad. I think he really touches on something. Mutations is a beautiful album, and I love it. That's 98, I think. And then Sea Change is 2002, which I think he writes after he's broken up with somebody. But Odelay was it very symbolic of 1996. And this is what the 90s were about. It was a hodgepodge. You had bands coming at you from every direction and it felt like you could try anything. You could try anything. You could just throw whatever you wanted into a song, and it was crazy. It's almost kind of crazy that this became a success, but it's it's very telling of the time that people were like, ah, I'm, I like it. It's fun. It's different. It's weird. I don't even know what he's saying in these lyrics. It's crazy. It's avant-garde. It's, it just has like a completely different you know style and feel. But that's Odelay, and uh, there's there's a song that came around in 1997 that when I was researching this album, when I was looking back at it again, that I was like, hey, where's that song again? And I, I remembered. It was a song called Deadweight, and it was on the soundtrack for A Life Less Ordinary. You remember that movie? Ewan McGregor, Cameron Diaz? That's a great soundtrack. I should talk about that one. But on A Life Less Ordinary, he did a song called Deadweight, and I just remember this video of him working like he's at an office, but he's at the beach. And then he, um, then he decides to take a vacation, but his vacation is he goes and relaxes inside of an office. And then he's like walking on the street and his shadow is a real guy. Like his shadow is a, a, somebody dressed in all black and they stand up and he's being, then he's like walking, like he's the shadow and the shadow's leading the way. And he's like attached the feet. I pretty sure it was a Michelle Gondry video. It has all I, yes, I'm 99% sure it's Michelle Gondry because it feels like a Michelle Gondry. But that song reminds me of this time of Beck, and it makes sense because it was 1997, my senior year, when Life Less Ordinary came out. And it was for the soundtrack, and that song was recorded basically between the time that he did Odelay and then on to Mutation. So it's like that gap in between. So part of my memory was like, wasn't Deadweight on on Odelay, but then I realized I think it's included on the deluxe version of this album where they included some of the songs that he was working on before he had the Dust Brothers, 
some other takes, some remix with like Aphex Twin and there's Uncle on there. So there was a deluxe edition of Odelay that includes a lot more stuff. Um, and it has that song Deadweight. I love that song uh, Deadweight. That's a really good one. If you've never heard that or if you it's been a long time, I highly recommend you go check it out. But I feel like I've given a good amount of time and energy focused on um, Odelay. Oh, last thing I did write this down. Deadweight. Uh, Beck consider that part of his Brazilian trilogy. So on Mutations, he wrote a song called Tropicalia, which is the one that has got the doom, 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 doom. it's got the that sounds like the straw going in and out of the, the McDonald's cup, you know, <laughs> that one. And then there's a song on Guero in 2005 called Missing and then Deadweight. And he called those his Brazilian um, trilogy because they all have this kind of like bossa nova kind of, you know, like the, the rhythms of it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I never knew that. But that's Odelay. That's Beck. That's the brilliant, crazy, unique world of Beck Hansen, um, who's just a, a fascinating person and just went on to prove to us what a brilliant songwriter and composer and musician he is. Um, I saw Beck perform live, I want to say, at K-Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas in, I want to say that was 2006. 2007, somewhere around there, he was on K-Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas. And I just remember them being loud. I remember that set being loud, like, wow, my ears hurt. And then just recently at Coachella, I'm pretty sure he came out on stage with the Gorillas. And I remember being there and, and, and I was like, oh, shit, it's Beck. He's on stage with the Gorillas during their set. But I was pretty far back. I was just looking up at the screens because Coachella gets crazy once you get to the headliners at night. It gets massive. And I remember standing back there and, and this was me showing my age, right? I'm watching the Gorillas and I'm so excited because I'm like, yeah, I'm enjoying the show. And then I, I see Beck and I'm like, holy shit, it's Beck. And I turn to my left and right and I'm looking at people and I'm like, it's Beck, it's Beck. And I'm not with anybody who is even remotely close to my age. And you can see the look on their face like, who's that? <laughs> who's Beck? And by the way, who's this? No, I'm just kidding. They may, Maybe they knew it was Gorillaz because they announced it and um, it was on the flyers, but they probably didn't know who Beck Hansen was, which is a shame Go check out his vast catalog of incredible music. But that, my friends, is Odelay. And I think it's kind of funny that I had the iPad out and I would play the, the opening of the song. I hope I don't get flagged for that. I only did that because it's definitely one of those albums that you put on and it's not like I would sit there and pay attention to. What song is this? It would be one of those albums that would just roll. You're driving and it would just go from start to back and you can isolate Jackass and and Novocaine and uh, New Pollution because they were they were very identifiable. Whereas some of the other ones, like Beastie Boys songs, they kind of just roll thematically into the next one, and it has like a vibe and an energy. But you're not sitting there paying attention to the song as a whole. It feels like it's a whole part of the album. You know what I mean? So that was Waterproof Records on Bex Odelay. Thanks for joining me yet again. This was so much fun. I loved talking about it. I hope you enjoyed it too. And, and make sure you're telling people to check out Waterproof Records. I love making this show. I want to keep growing and getting bigger and getting a bigger audience so that I can tour one day, come to your town, do a live Waterproof Records, keep getting guests on the show. Um, we got to keep this thing going. So I have a cool subscriber group called the Waterproof Crew, which is you can subscribe on Instagram. And we have like a wonderful community where we get to chat 
Um, and it's amazing. And it's a cool way to just basically be part of, I don't know, like a, like an insider crew, um, with me. So they're amazing and I love them. So thanks for supporting me. Waterproof crew. And, uh, once again, check out DistroKid. Get that 30% off your first year of uploading your music. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash Waterproof. This has been Waterproof Records. I've been your host, Jacob Givens, and this has been Bex Odelay. Until the next time, we will see you later. Records with Jacob.